not about what the outside world thinks. It's about what does, you know, what do you have in that room? And the best man wins, and you give everybody a shot at it. The outside world doesn't see the summer workout on a Monday morning. They don't see that progress, but, but we as coaches do. Well, regardless of what the outside world thinks, we, we believe a lot in our defense. Greetings and welcome back to the Outside World, the Athletics OU Football Podcast. I'm Jason Kersey, uh, joined today by Max Olson, National College Football Reporter at The Athletic. Max, welcome back to the show. Hey, buddy. How we doing? Pretty good. But I mean, we got some some pretty good news today about OU. We're recording here on Tuesday, May 26th. Uh, OU announces they're coming back on July 1st, which is a little bit later than uh, than most teams are doing. Um, OU saying that they wanted to wait until the last possible moment to be prepared for the season, but also be able to take a little bit more time for social distancing and all those kinds of things. Uh, they released a detailed plan about what they're going to be doing and how they're going to handle these workouts. Um, Max, what would, I mean, from a national perspective, what was your reaction to this news today? I mean, I, I think the natural thing that, that it's going to get people's attention is um... – you know, the start date, uh, of July one, um, <clears throat> excuse me. I, you know, certainly I think the Lincoln rally coming out a couple weeks ago and, and being very direct about his point of view on this topic that, um, he thought it'd be crazy to go back June one and that you know, this thing needs to be as late as possible. I think, um, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised that this is the choice that they've made. And clearly it's based on, um, you know, the expert opinion that they're leaning on here, but, um, it's interesting. I, I, I guess my first impression of, 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 you know, pushing it back two weeks later than Texas and other big 12 schools are doing is, you know, do you think that's, that's a matter of, OU? kind of like what Lincoln said a couple weeks ago, is, is that, OU kind of trying to be on the right side of history with this thing? That's kind of what I think. I mean, because Lincoln Riley is as someone who covers him, I can say this Lincoln Riley is paranoid about everything. He he is like most coaches. He thinks that everything is an advantage or a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. And, you know, don't, so anywhere he can find an edge, he's going to take it. And so the fact that he's willing to wait two weeks after Texas to come back, I think says how serious he's taking the the pandemic and how seriously he's taking uh, the recommendations of the medical community. The f- because if there was any way he could be back on June 1st, I, I promise you he would do it. Uh, but Lincoln is a smart guy. He's been very outspoken about this, sort of in opposition to the other uh, co- major college football coach in our fair state um, yeah. up in Stillwater. Uh, and, you know, I mean, even this morning, Lincoln retweeted a doctor talking about wearing masks and got a lot of shit for that on uh, on Twitter. But, yeah. uh, you know, he, he just seems to be very, very concerned about this and taking it seriously. So I, I'm, I think you have to be somewhat impressed with the way he's handled this. I, I, well, okay. I think you make a good point there, right? If he sees things uh, through the lens of advantages and disadvantages, maybe he thinks there's an advantage to being one of the last ones uh, to get back to it. Um, not so much in the preparation, but maybe for you know the well-being of his players to to make it through to December. Yeah, I mean that's an interesting point too. I mean he he uh, he, he is obviously listening to, I, I, I would, I would assume the, the medical experts, Joe Castiglione has been very outspoken about this, that they're not going to make decisions, or at least he says they're not going to make decisions based on co- competition or based on, uh, you know, money. They're not going to make decisions like that. And, uh, but I do think those things have to be taken into some consideration. The idea that they're not thinking about it at all is probably a little bit naive. 
I'm, I'm reading through the, the FAQ here. It says in their building, all interior doors will remain open to reduce touch points. That, that means open door policy for you, Jason, as, as a member of the media covering Oklahoma, <laughs> right? That's got to be a good thing. Yeah, I'm sure I can just waltz right in there. Yeah, you know? with a mask um, on, but yes. Yeah, right, with a mask on. So they won't know who I am. There you go. Um, no, the the plan that they released involves, you know, testing everyone when they get back to campus. Um, it, they they doesn't sound like they're going to be do, doing daily testing, but it does sound like they're going to do temperature checks and ask some questions before anyone can enter the building. I, I, I understand that. I think ideally you'd want to test every day, but that that's just way too expensive probably for for many I, I can't imagine there are any programs that would be able to afford that. Yeah, that's that's one area I, I would I've really been wanting to hear more specifics from schools um, about testing. I think that's the number one thing, and and certainly there's still time for them to to sort of uh, identify their plan for that. But you you know w- now that we're setting deadlines on return to campus, you want to know what is it going to take for college athletic programs to. Uh, you know, get access to not just testing for when they get back, but regular testing. And you know, one of the other things that stood out to me in reading through Oklahoma's plan, and I've, I've heard this from talking with other SIDs uh, around the country. Um, Oklahoma mentions their their workout groups will be uh, ten or fewer participants at first, and it's going to be in open air or partially open air environments. I think that's something that is going to we're going to see a lot this summer. Is you know you're going to have to kind of find a way to you know relocate the weight room and um, find a way to. Uh, uh, you know, I guess try and reduce the risk of having a big group of people back in your weight room sweating together and being very close together. I think that's a that's a, a clear obstacle that that these schools are going to have to address. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the OU uh, weight room and their workout facility um, is is such it's so big, and there is a, a door that they can open up so that they can sort of run in and out, uh, like almost a garage door, as I recall. Uh, it looks like, and I mean, so they they can probably accomplish that pretty well within their weight room within that area, as long as they don't have the entire team in there at the same time. I imagine that's very doable for them. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, I think that's that's really interesting. You know, the obviously the other big takeaway with this deal is, um, you know, no matter what date you put on it, I think I think uh, I think I'm, I'm sure I can speak for you and say we're encouraged, right? I mean, we're encouraged oh, yeah. that. Um, you know, not just with the decision the Big 12 made at the end of last week about setting the June 15th date, but we're starting to see programs across the country um, kind of get a plan in place here. Yeah, I mean, about a month ago, I don't know how you felt, but a month, month and a half ago, I was starting to sort of accept that we may not have college football in the fall or we may have a very reduced version of college football in the fall. And that was pretty depressing to think about. Yeah. But I, I feel now better in terms of whether I think there'll be a season. I, I'm much more optimistic now than I was maybe even a month ago. I agree. Uh, where, where, how do you feel about, I think the other topic you're starting to see people bring up and Jamie Pollard at Iowa state brought it up today. Um, you know, the, the topic of getting fans in the stands, I think Iowa state wants to have basically 50% capacity if possible. Um, I certainly would be curious to hear for a program like Oklahoma, what that looks mm-hmm. like, but where, where do you think things are heading in that, that topic? Well, I mean, I know they've been working on all, all those scenarios behind the scenes. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I can't imagine any scenario where we have full capacity stadiums this no. fall. I just don't see 
any way that that's going to be possible. But, um, you know, if you can, if you can find a way to safely get to, you know, a third or half capacity, I think that's, that'd be great. But the problem I think is going to be more of how do you get people in and out of the stadium? Not once you get them in there, it's easy to keep everybody apart. The, mm-hmm. the question is how, how the heck do you get them in? How do you line people up to come in? Is there enough room for that? Um, I, I, you know, do you have to do any kind of temperature checks before people come in? I mean, there's a million things that, that can go wrong if you're getting that many people into the same area, even if you try your best to be safe. I mean, how do you regulate tailgating? I mean, these are all things that I, you know, I just don't know what college football is going to look like. Like I'm so used to, I don't know about you, but when I cover a game, like there's something very like cool and and it's never gotten old in all the years I've done this. Right. Walking up to a stadium through the tailgating, looking around at all the people, the bands out there playing. It's just sort of a it's very cool. It's it's a great, amazing, unique atmosphere. And I just don't think there's any way it's going to look anything like that this fall. I mean, I I don't know about you, um, but for me, like, so I'll go to the grocery store once a week, usually like on Thursday or Friday, and I already feel uncomfortable being in a grocery store with a hundred people, you know? And so, so when people ask like, Oh, what do you think of 20,000, 30,000, 40,000 in a stadium? To me, it's like, you know, I know we'll get there, but it's kind of, it's hard for me to like wrap my head around that and feel like, Oh yeah, I could see that feeling totally normal here at some point. Yeah. Well, I mean, comparing that to the stadium, being in the line to, to, at the checkout line, yeah. you know, I don't know about the grocery stores that, that you're going to, but the ones that I go to have clear now on the floor, like this is six feet, this is six feet. And I'm sure it's that way everywhere. Can you do that at a stadium? Because 20,000 people spread six feet apart in a line. I, I, you know, I don't know. Does the line go all the way to I 35 down Lindsay street? Like, I, right. I don't know. Well, yeah. And you know, at the grocery store, people wear their masks now, but the actual distancing from aisle to aisle is kind of, you know, people kind of, toss that out you know and kind of do their thing so i kind of think stadiums probably are the same way now can you it's a great question can you space your seats out that much in the stadium i i really don't know and and i know our colleague andy staples wrote an interesting piece last week of like for these universities all right if you if you if it's 20 or if it's thirty thousand, how how do you decide who's in and who's out you know that's the other thing that's the other thing because we all know the answer is going to be. It's going to be the people who've donated the most money. Yeah, and that's, uh, and that sucks. I mean that that that's life, but that sucks. And there's going to be a lot of really pissed off people about that. But you know, on the on the other hand, I, I suppose we if we reach that point and they and states are allowing people to meet in that quantity of 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 uh, of crowds, I mean. Maybe we should be grateful we can even get do that. I don't know, man. It's it's crazy. It's still e- even as we make progress here at the end of May, it is still crazy to think about just how many things still need to improve uh, by the beginning of September. You know? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, um, you know, I I I think that if you have season tickets and you are told that you can't come this year, just enjoy being able to watch a game at home and you know have an easy access to a bathroom. I think that's. <laughs> The way to look at that, because, uh, you know, my dad was a season ticket holder to you forever, and he's gotten to the point now where he doesn't even go much anymore. Yeah. So maybe but, there's you a, know, maybe there's a plus there. Enjoy it at home. Buy an air fryer. I bought an air fryer a couple weeks ago. It's phenomenal. <laughs> That's what really? fans should be doing this fall if they're stuck at home for games. 
My mom mentioned that to me uh, the other day that I need one of those. So you do. Yeah. Maybe I do. Do you like chicken wings? I do. Yes. There you go. That's the only reason you need one. Uh, Absolutely. Well, want to get into your story uh, that you wrote today about Tom Herman in Texas in a little bit. But first, wanted to sort of go over the OU team. Like, I'm sure people are tired of hearing about coronavirus. So, uh, you know, your thoughts, uh, you know, obviously we didn't have a spring to go through. But what's the sort of national look at Oklahoma right now? I mean, do do you where, where do you see this program at right now coming off the season they had last year? Yeah, Jason, I, I I think the number one thing, obviously, is, you know, you, you like I, I don't really think there's anybody that has a perception that Oklahoma is going to take some big step back uh, in 2020. I think, obviously, um, you know, you wrote, a, you wrote a great piece about the, the Oklahoma quarterback battle and, and kind of the odd way it's playing out right now. And I think that's that's probably still the main fascination of our national standpoint is just, you know, who is Spencer Rattler? What, what can he bring to the table? Can OU really kind of maintain this run that they've had? Um, you know, and, and, and how do you reload um, from losing, you know, guys like Kenneth Murray and guys like CeeDee Lamb? I, I, I think really fascinated to see kind of who steps up. And, and, and certainly I think the big picture thing, if you want to talk about, you know, look, we all know bottom line, if Oklahoma is, is you know, going to stay in the mix here to win a national title, is, what kind of steps do they take on defense this year um, without Kenneth Murray, without Neville Gallimore? Um, some really, you know, Parnell Motley, some really important pieces there. What does year two with Alex Grinch look like? Um, I think it was obviously huge that they could get him to stay when, when there are certainly some jobs out there that um, you wondered if he'd be interested in. But, um, you know, what, what can he t- do with this group to continue building confidence to obviously force a lot more turnovers? Um, you know, can they kind of get that group right um, so that they can, you know, stay not just stay at this level they've been at, but but get even better. Yeah, yeah, and and you mentioned the quarterback story, and yeah, that's right. I think in the time since the last podcast, I talked to Kevin Murray, who coaches Tanner Mordecai as his private QB trainer, and uh, Mike Giovando, who is Spencer Rattler's private QB trainer, and uh, just sort of about how you, how this battle has played out in these unusual times, and I do think that Tanner Mordecai is the one who probably loses the most by not having a spring. That was sort of his yeah. chance, I think. And I think um, there, the chance of him winning that job is a lot less now, um, even no matter what, how many times Lincoln Riley tells us it's a true battle. I, I just don't think anybody believes that at this point. Uh, but th- that that's very interesting to see how those two guys come back, how they come back as leaders of the team, um, if they can sort of take over that locker room, that's that's obviously so important uh, when it comes to that. And if you're the Oklahoma quarterback, you're going to be theoretically in the Heisman race, you know, for probably as long as Lincoln Riley's there. So, yeah, do, sorry. Do you think they lucked out in some ways that, I mean, could you have seen this play, if, if it were a normal spring, could you have seen it playing out where, um, you know, Mordecai and Rattler battle, and at the end of the semester, Mordecai says, I'm ready to move on. Like, do you think they lucked out in that, that by not having that battle, you actually kind of pushed that off? I don't think so because uh, Tanner Mordecai is not in a place where he can transfer and be immediately eligible. He's right. not 
that close to graduating. And from my, from my conversations with people around him, my understanding is, is that he doesn't want to leave until he's eligible as a grad transfer somewhere else. If, if that was to play out that way, because he's already redshirted a year. So uh, that is, uh, so it might make more sense to wait until you get a one-time transfer exception, basically. If if that, if that gets approved next year, if that gets approved, that's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. That, or he gets to a point where he can graduate and and then transfer as a grad transfer. So, um, I, I I think he would have stuck around regardless. And the other thing is Lincoln Riley was not going to name Spencer Rattler, the starter. And I think as long as that hasn't been officially decided, Mordecai was probably going to stick around. That's, that's how Lincoln Riley has successfully gotten quarterbacks to stick around for that last semester. Austin Kendall, not naming Kyler Murray, the starter until, you know, right before school starts. I mean, there's, there's probably some strategic, some strategy when it comes to that. Do, do, do you think that, um, you know, losing spring ball like that, um, do you, do you think that Chandler Morris, like where do you, where do you see him fitting into this? Not to say that he's going to be asked to be the guy this year, but um, I don't know. I, I, I imagine he probably, when he gets to campus, isn't that far off because you at least had the time for some of the Zoom instruction, right? Right, and he's actually in Dallas working out with uh, Kevin Murray. Right. Kevin Murray is also his private QB coach, whereas Mordecai has stayed in Norman, so he hasn't even gotten that time with Kevin Murray, the way that Chandler Morris is every day. And if you're going to have a QB coach, uh, teach you before you get to Oklahoma, maybe, you know, the, the father of a Heisman, Oklahoma Heisman winner, uh, is a pretty good, pretty good place to be, especially also considering Kyler is down there working out with his dad right now too. So he's not lacking for instruction right now. I don't think. Yeah, I'm for sure. For sure. Um, but hey, let's uh, let's talk about your Texas story because it was uh, it was a really good read. Uh, I know you know that program quite well from having spent all all that time in Austin, like you did. Um, I, I found it. I, I love the story because uh, it sort of starts off with in Tom Herman's uh, temporary office, which uh, I can relate to in Oklahoma because it was just a few years ago that OU was doing its own South End Zone renovation. And uh, was stuffed into temporary offices uh, in the during the 2015 and 16 season, um, but it, but you know, th- this has been a transformational time at Texas because you yeah. not only have that going on, you also have all the staff changes Tom Herman made in response to what was, to put it lightly, an extremely disappointing 2019 season. Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting time at Texas. I think they're one of the more fascinating. Um, teams in college football this offseason, just because I think a lot of people are looking at Texas and, and, and sort of circling 2020 um, with curiosity is, is this kind of make or break time for Tom Herman? Um, I, in, in talking with, with, with Tom, I, I, you know, we sat down for, um, you know, probably half hour at the beginning of March before everything kind of got shut down and talked, he talked very candidly about, um, what went wrong last season and how tough it was to, you know, not just fire, you know, just move on from seven coaches, but really fire his friends, you know, and mm-hmm. um, just all the, you know, he talked about how, you know, they really needed to kind of open up the hood on this uh, organization and figure out what's wrong, you know, because certainly there were moments last season, whether it's the LSU game or the way they whipped Utah in the Alamo bowl, where you saw the potential, you saw Texas could be really good and is, and is really talented. Um, but 
things really took a turn there as the season developed. And he actually pointed to the Oklahoma game. He actually pointed to Red River in October as the game um, that was really alarming to him. And, and it probably wasn't to you and me necessarily because it was, you know, it was a hard-fought game. You know, C.D. Lamb was incredible. Grinch called a hell of a game. Um, you know, Jalen Hurts was okay, um, but, but um, you know, Texas couldn't really capitalize and didn't play great offensively. But to Tom Herman, um, that game stood out more so than even the Kansas shootout because he thought Oklahoma, you know, kicked their ass. He really thought that they were not used to OU being the more physical team in that rivalry since Herman got there. And he says he's always said that very proudly, that they're going to be the most physical team in the country. So he felt like Oklahoma really beat them up in that game, and it really set them off. Um, in a, <laughs> set them off on a bad path for the rest of the season, and they've just made so much change um, to try and try and get things back on track here. There's no doubt that really, I think going back to 2013, which would have been Mac Brown's last year, and they Texas won that game. Yeah, upset OU that game. Yeah, um, that was a year OU beat Alabama, and they lost to that Texas team. And I think going back to that year, Texas has been the aggressor in that game. Yes. Every year before last year, even in the years though, you won Texas was right. the aggressor. They were the more physical team. And it was always sort of shocking because Oklahoma was having all this success and winning all the big 12 titles. But that weekend in te- in, uh, in October at the state fair, they just never seemed ready for that game, even in the years they won. And so that was kind of start to see that last year. Cause, cause yeah. in past years, Oklahoma loses that game when Jalen hurts has the turnovers he has and all those sorts of things. Yeah, no. And I, it's, it's, you're spot on there that even in these years when Oklahoma had Baker and had superior teams, um, there was Texas has really consistently played them really tough. And I, and that's something that, um, Tom Herman and his, his staff takes a lot of pride in. And so, um, you know, that game last year and just all the blunders Texas had, uh, gave up, I forgot they gave up nine sacks in that game. Um, you know, Grinch, Grinch just really shut them down offensively. And, you know, at the end, it's a seven point game. It's, it's not an embarrassing loss, but um, I, I, you think back to that and and forget how important that was, not just for Texas decline, but I'm sure it was really important for Oklahoma and really sending a message and getting on a roll of their own, you know? Oh, it was, it was the game where everybody sort of realized, okay, Alex Grinch really has made a difference. And obviously the way that season ended for Oklahoma's defense uh, it's easy to sort of laugh at that, but that game was a, I mean, that was a big time game for them uh, on the defensive side. You know, you talk about the, the firing of his friends and I, one of the parts of your story that I thought was actually sort of eye opening is, and you, cause you just don't hear these things talked about in this much detail. You know, the idea of him handing Todd Orlando the folder with termination papers. Um, I mean, Tom Herman, that, that, that could not have been easy for him. And I, I'm, I, I don't know, surprised maybe that he's that being that open about it. Cause so often, you know, coaches like to frame these things as, Oh, you know, they got another job or they're decided to move on or whatever. But right. Tom Herman's being pretty open about this. You know, it's easy for us as like pundits to watch a season like that from Texas and just say like, Oh wow, the staff did a terrible job. Like they got to fire all these people and clean house and make all these changes. But I mean, you know, Todd Orlando didn't forget how to coach football. You know, they, they did a bad job last year, um, but he's still a hell of a coach. And there's a reason why he's the DC at USC now. I mean, he, 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 he landed in a pretty good spot because he is a good coach and he's a big reason why Tom Herman is even the head coach of Texas today because of what they did together um, at Houston. So to spend, you know, to spend all those years together, five years together, um, 
no, it's a, it's a devastating thing to have to make those changes. And obviously when you're in Tom Herman's shoes, there's a lot of pressure on you to make changes. Um, but they had to, you know, he moved on from seven guys and six of them were, you know, worked with him at Houston and, and played a big role in getting to Austin. So, um, it was a hard change for, for Texas and, and for Tom Herman, but it's very definitely clear. He's, he's fired up about Mike Yersich as his OC and is giving him the keys to run the offense and, and, you know, giving up all the play calling duties, which is important. Um, Chris Ash, their DC hire, um, obviously failed as a head coach at Rutgers, but they won a national title together at Ohio state. A lot of familiarity there. And, um, you know, they obviously they hired Jay Bulware away, away from Oklahoma for the special teams coordinator job, which was a big coup to bring him home. Um, I think he put together a good staff. And now the question is, can those guys come together uh, and take advantage? Because with Sam Ellinger back and, and the upperclassmen they have on both sides of the ball, 2020 is a year when Texas uh, should be really good and, and shouldn't have a ton of excuses. Yeah, I mean, the thing about Texas that just has blows everyone's mind, I think, up here is is how they have been so mediocre or bad for yeah. so long. I mean, it just does does not seem to make sense. It's it's trans it's uh it's lasted through different coaching mm-hmm. eras, it's lasted through different A D eras, and they just can't seem to figure it out. And it does seem that Tom Herman recognizes the urgency of this situation. But uh for all the uh, you know, Texas's back jokes, which Right. You know, I think we're, we're, were, you, were you proud of me? I didn't find a way to put Texas's back in that story. I didn't take the, take I the was, cheap shot. I looked and I, and I looked for it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's so easy to, to joke about Texas's back and, and because, and it's so easy to also think that they, you know, of course this is all BS because they're just going to be as bad as they've been before. They're not really going to change, but I mean, Tom Herman is taking this as seriously. I would think as any coach in a while at Texas has, uh, with the drastic, changes that have been made well and, and the interesting thing is you know the really the company line there is that uh you know that tom herman is not on the hot seat um crystal connie has uh, his ad who i think is really really sharp um really backed tom herman up when it came to making these changes um he increased their salary pool even the assistance they retained got raises um you know if if they were to let the, if they were to pull the plug on this staff at the end of 2020 um the bill for that now, obviously, there's offsets that reduce that and everything, but the the bill for getting rid of Tom Herman and his staff is like twenty five million dollars. So they're invested. Like they gave multi year deals to these guys. Um, when coaches had questions about Tom Herman's you know job security, he told them talk to Delconi, and Delconi you know assured them that that they're patient, um, that they're not getting too high or low on on a bad season. And it you know even we call it a bad season, but they still finished in the top twenty five and, and won eight games. But um, so the the stance there is that Tom Herman's doesn't have that pressure on him, but I think realistically we know that if it's a mediocre season, um, look, it's Texas. It doesn't take very much for people to turn on you, and um, you know with the upgrade to to DKR coming in 2021, uh, there's real expectations here that they have a big opportunity um, to to really make a move here, and and that it, as I wrote in the story, they need the on field product to. Uh, to match the match the facility here and, and kind of the big things they're aiming to do. I can't believe that they have not renovated that facility since John Makovic. Like that really shocked me. They, they upgraded the locker room it. and the weight room when Herman got there, they put like 10 million bucks into that. But if you go walk through it, like it, if you go walk through Texas, um, their Texas football building and you walk through Oklahoma's, the disparity is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I've never been 
to the University of Texas football facility or stadium because I've never had a reason to go there. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but but, uh, but that is shocking to hear. That is, I mean, that is truly shocking. No, I mean, they and, so. and even when Del Conte, you know, Del Conte came over from TCU. So he came over um, after investing in what TCU is doing there and, you know, said straight up, like, I think we're like 8th out of 10 in the Big 12 in facilities mm-hmm. um, yeah. from, from a football standpoint. So, yeah, it, it takes a lot of investment and a lot of time. Um, and they've made a, a huge investment here. And that deal is going to be, like I said, is me ready for the start of the 2021 season. So that's a re- I, to me, it's a real deadline. It's a real deadline that, that this thing has got to get turned and get turned quickly. Um, and if you have, you know, if you have a mediocre season, then, um, you know, I think that the pressure really cranks up. And I think people start talking about, um, you know, pe- people really start talking about Tom Herman's job and, um, you know, how much time does he get? Yeah. Well, Max, thanks so much for, uh, for joining the podcast again. Uh, always appreciate your time. And uh, everybody go read that story. I'm sure uh, even if you don't want to admit it, uh, I know all of you OU fans are interested in what Texas is doing. So go read Max's story. Thanks again for your time, man. Hey, thanks, buddy. And thanks to all of you for listening. As always, uh, the Athletics 90-day free trial deal is still going. So please go check that out if you're not subscribed yet. We, we'd really appreciate it. And uh, we'll be back next time.